William Godwin, Lord Byron, Percy Shelley. To us, they're the almost untouchable authors of classic literature. But to their contemporaries, well, that's another matter altogether. This is Lit Slashing, a weekly podcast bringing you history's most notorious bad, backhanded, and brutal reviews of literary classics. I'm Dr. Courtney Floyd. And I'm Dr. Eleanor Dunbill. And this week we're going to be talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or talking about reviews of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mary Shelley was an English novelist, known mainly for her first novel, Frankenstein, which she wrote as part of a contest with her husband, Percy Shelley, and their pal, Lord Byron. For more information on Mary, you can listen to episodes 15 and 16 of Victorian Scribblers. So today we have, yeah, several, several reviews of Frankenstein. Um, and let's just dive right in. Let's see what people thought. A review of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, published in The British Critic in April of 1818. We are in doubt to what class we shall refer writings of this extravagant character. That they bear marks of considerable power, it is impossible to deny. But this power is so abused and perverted that we should almost prefer imbecility. However much of late years we have been wearied and ennuied by the languid whispers of gentle sentimentality, they at least had the comfortable property of provoking no uneasy slumber. But we must protest against the waking dreams of horror excited by the unnatural stimulants of this later school, and we feel ourselves as much harassed after rising from the perusal of these three spirit-wearing volumes as if we had been overdosed with laudanum or hag-ridden by the nightmare. No one can love a real good ghost story more heartily than we do, and we will toil through many a tedious duodecimo to get half a dozen pages of rational terror, provided always that we keep company with specters and skeletons, no longer than they maintain the just dignity of their spiritual character. Now and then, too, we can tolerate a ghoul, so it be not at his dinner time. And altogether, we profess to entertain a very due respect for the whole anarchy of the demonical establishment. Our prejudices in favor of legitimacy, of course, are proportionally shocked by the pretensions of any pseudo-diabolism, and all our best feelings of ghostly loyalty are excited by the usurpation of an unauthorized hobgoblin or a nondescript fee-fa-fum. We need scarcely say that these volumes have neither principle, object, nor moral. The horror which abounds in them is too grotesque and bizarre even to approach near the sublime, and when we did not hurry over the pages in disgust, we sometimes paused to laugh outright. And yet we suspect that the diseased and wandering imagination which has stepped out of all legitimate bounds to frame these disjointed combinations and unnatural adventures might be disciplined into something better. We heartily wish it were so, for there are occasional symptoms of no common powers of mind, struggling through a mass of absurdity, which well-nigh overwhelms them. But it is a sort of absurdity that approaches so often the confines of what is wicked and immoral that we dare hardly trust ourselves to bestow even this qualified praise. The writer of it is, we understand, a female. This is an aggravation of that which is the prevailing fault of the novel, but if our authoress can forget the gentleness of her sex, it is no reason why we should. 
and we shall therefore dismiss the novel without further comment. So rather than having an extended review, I thought I'd pick out some snippets of other reviews, I guess. So the first one comes from the Monthly Review in 1818. At Uncouth's story, in the taste of the German novelists, trenching in some degree on delicacy, setting probability at defiance and leading to no conclusion either moral or philosophical. In some passages, the writer appears to favour the doctrines of materialism, but a serious examination is scarcely necessary for so eccentric a vagary of the imagination as this tale presents. And that's all they thought fit to write about this. Our old friends at the Quarterly Review said, Our readers will guess, so they give an extended summary, as a lot of reviewers' attendants to do. They, um, instead of reviewing, give a plot synopsis. And then they say, Our readers will guess from this summary what a tissue of horrible and disgusting absurdity this work presents. It is piously dedicated to Mr. Godwin and is written in the spirit of his school. The dreams of insanity are embodied in the strong and striking language of the insane, and the author, notwithstanding the rationality of his preface, often leaves us in doubt whether he is not as mad as his hero. Mr. Godwin is the patriarch of a literary family, whose chief skill is in delineating the wanderings of the intellect, and which strangely delights in the most afflicting and humiliating of human miseries. His disciples are a kind of outpensioners of Bedlam, and like Mad, Mad Bess and Mad Tom, are occasionally visited with paroxysms of genius and fits of expression which make sober-minded people wonder and shudder. And the last one is from The Literary Panorama. This novel is a feeble imitation of one that was very popular in its day, the suddenly on of Mr. Godwin. It exhibits many characteristics of the school whence it proceeds and occasionally puts forth indications of talent. But we have been very much disappointed in the perusal of it, from our expectations having been raised too high beforehand by injudicious praises, and it exhibits a strong tendency towards materialism. The main idea on which the story of Frankenstein rests undoubtedly affords scope for the display of imagination and fancy, as well as knowledge of the human heart, and the anonymous author has not wholly neglected the opportunities which are presented to him. But the work seems to have been written in great haste, and on a very crude and ill-digested plan, and the detail is in consequence frequently filled with the most gross and obvious inconsistencies. We shall hereafter point out a few of those to which we allude. We have mentioned there are gross inconsistencies in the minor details of the story. They are such, for example, as the following. The moment Frankenstein has endowed with life the previously inanimate form of the being which he has made, he is so horror-struck with the hideousness of the form and features when they are put in motion that he remains fixed at the spot while the gigantic monster runs from the horizontal posture in which he lay and walks away. And Frankenstein never hears any more of him for nearly two years. The author supposes that his hero has the power of communicating life to dead matter, but what has the vital principle to do with habits and action which are dependent on the moral will? If Frankenstein could have endowed his creature with the vital principle of a hundred or thousand human beings, it would no more have been able to walk without having previously acquired the habit of doing so than it would be to talk or to reason or to judge. He does not pretend that he could endow it with faculties as well as life. And yet, when it is about a year old, we find it reading Werther and Plutarch and Volney. The whole detail of the development of the creature's mind and faculty is full of these monstrous inconsistencies. After the creature leaves Frankenstein on the night of its birth, it wanders for some time in the woods and then takes up its residence in a kind of shed adjoining to a cottage, where it remains for many months without the knowledge or the in of the inhabitants and learns to talk and read through a chink in the wall. 
We have heard that this work is written by Mr. Shelley, but should be disposed to attribute it to even a less experienced writer than he is. In fact, we have some idea that it is a production of a daughter of a celebrated living novelist. Where I shouted there, it's because it was in italics, because the reveal was really worked up about the fact of the monster walking. <laughs> I want to say, like, that last one is at least a little bit fair, because it's like, <laughs> yeah. The, but also, like, misses the whole kind of, like, experiment that Shelley is doing, right? Like, there's a reason for these inconsistencies. <laughs> the last one is the one that I love most, because they're like, yeah, I can believe that you got a bunch of body parts and made them live, but it could walk. You didn't have to teach right. it to walk. <laughs> Where's my montage of you teaching your new creature to walk? <laughs> no, I imagine the, the creature running around like Rocky. Learning <laughs> 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 no to walk. No, all the references to Godwin, I was like, you're onto something here. Mm -hmm. Because if you haven't listened to the Victorian Scribblers episodes on Shelley, that is her dad that they're comparing her to. Yes. And the last one does seem to suggest that they know that it might be her. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, that's the most correct part of that whole review. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really interesting that multiple of them touched on this kind of tendency toward materialism. Yes. Like, yeah, I don't even know what's going on there. I didn't think of it as a particularly materialist novel. Like, I also liked how in the one that you read out, they're like, what is she doing? We haven't read this before. And it's like, yeah, she's inventing a genre. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. And then that whole ending of like, and to top it all off, she is female. <laughs> my lady wrote this? Oh my gosh. What a diseased imagination. Um, I also wanted to say that if I ever write a... Uh, Memoir. I'm going to definitely call it Unauthorised Hobgoblin. <laughs> uh, tell us what the title of your memoir will be on Twitter at lit slashing pod. Yeah, or leave it in a review. In fact, leave a review with how you think Victor Frankenstein might have taught his monster to walk. Yeah. And uh, when you're done, check out our website, www.litslashing.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thank you for listening. Uh -huh.